0: Good morning church, good morning everybody. Those at the back if you want to come in and find a seat. It's good to see so many people out this morning. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't know whether I'm getting older or this worship team's getting younger, but uh, I'm the only member up here who didn't sit school exams this summer. So this must be what like Jackie McCubrey felt like when we were all coming through. <laughs> if you all want to stand, we're gonna start our service with some praise and worship.
1: your foundation. My soul will wait, my soul will wait for you. This is love I can't explain. This is love it's so
2: mercy is more. We stood neath a debt we could never afford, but his mercy is more. Just reading this past week through the book of Romans, I think it is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible, and that is Paul's presentation of the gospel. He begins by condemning Jew and Gentile alike in Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3 us in Romans chapter 1 that we have exchanged the truth about God for lies. We've actually worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. So we've actually committed treason. We have preferred God's stuff to God himself. We have embraced lies and in doing that we have belittled the name of God. And God being the kind of God that he is cannot let men and women get away with the belittling of his name and God's response to that the Bible teaches us is twofold the first is a lost eternity that the Bible describes as hell eternal fire and that is inadequate because it doesn't produce what God wanted it to produce it doesn't produce worshipers those that are guilty don't rejoice in condemnation those that are guilty rejoice in mercy they rejoice in grace The second response of Almighty God to the belittling of his name was to put forward his son to be the propitiation for our sins. As Paul tells us, he would absorb the wrath of God, he would live the kind of life that you and I should have lived but couldn't, and he would die the kind of death that you and I should have died but didn't. And So the response to the belittling of God's name has been twofold. Eternal fire that the Bible describes as hell and the setting forward of his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And when Paul lays out his great presentation of the gospel, I kind of imagine that as he puts down his pen at the end of chapter 11 and he goes into that great doxology and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He said, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him, but shall not be repaid? For from him and to him and through him are all things. But Paul says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? He says, his judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. And what that simply means, brothers and sisters, this morning is this. That there is nothing, there is no thing that we have that God did not give us. God is not in our dead this morning. From a lovely meal to a beautiful sunset to fresh air to the ability to breathe and walk about on his planet, all of these are the gracious gifts of an almighty God. All the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. His his judgments are unsearchable his, his ways are inscrutable and we do know something of the mind of God he's given us the scripture but we don't know enough whereby we could counsel him and yet we do it all the time we try and give God advice with our tiny puny little brains in this moment of time that we've been given we think we can counsel the almighty we can't even explain our own lives how we got here why we're drawn to certain things and not other things No wonder Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways, how inscrutable are his judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he shall not be repaid? For from him and to him and through him are all things. We stand in his dead this morning. We serve a wonderful Savior a wonderful saviour and the right response brothers and sisters to the doing and the dying of our saviour Jesus Christ is that you and I would do what Paul tells us to do in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore brothers and sisters in light of this great sacrifice that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is nothing other than your reasonable service. And C.T. Studd got it right didn't he when he said If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice that I could ever make could ever be too great for him. So what we offer in return this morning is a living, loving, lasting, logical sacrifice because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's good to be in his presence today, isn't it? There's no other place we would rather be than with the people of God, remembering the Son of God, as he laid down his life for us at a place called Calvary. Before we partake of the emblems, maybe there's some brother, some sister. Would you just like to lead us in a word of thanks just at the throne of grace? Some brother, some sister, just lead us in a word of thanks. Thank you.
3: Amen. Bless, it, Bless the Lord.
2: Amen. we're going to remember the Lord's death this morning. Bless his name. The prophet said, Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief he had us or our faces from him yet we did esteem him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastisement that brings us peace was laid upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep had gone astray we had turned everyone to his own way But Yahweh laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has put him to grief. Yet he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of Jehovah will prosper in his heart. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. It's my duty to remind you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. when he had given thanks he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Let's pick back the first layer if you haven't already done so. And we'll take this little wafer and in so doing, in this simple act of remembrance, we will remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, you, yes, Amen. And after the same manner, he also took the cup. When he had supped, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know, to the ears of those first disciples, that would have sounded blasphemous had it not come from the lips of Christ. Here's a new covenant. Here's a better covenant. Not one written in tablets of stone, but one whereby the Spirit of God will come and he will take these laws, these rules, these regulations. He will write them on your heart. After the same manner also he took the cup and when he had supped, he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the remission of sins. Paul reminds us for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show the Lord's death until he comes. I can't wait to see his face. They shall see his face. Spurgeon said that will be the heaven of heavens see his face. Amen. Let's take the cup together. Father, we thank you again this morning for this simple act of remembrance, simple and yet profound. We thank you for our Savior, the one of whom we have been singing. We thank you that your promise remains true if we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You promised in your word, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We thank you for the righteousness of our Savior. We thank you for the strength that he gives. Bless every family, every home here represented. We thank you for the sweet sense of your presence. Walk amongst us now, we pray, and touch your heart here and a the life there. And may we know that we're in the very presence of the living God. It's in its glorious name we pray, Lord Jesus
0: Christ. Amen. Church, if you just want to stay seated for this, um, we've come around the table and it tells us to, um, to do it in remembrance of Christ, so this next song we're going to sing, I just want you to reflect and remember and focus your attention and your eyes on what Christ did at Calvary, what exactly that was. How terrible that would have been, and how horrible it would have been for what he went through, and how much greater His love is than the pain that He went through for us. So, just reflect on that, and as the song says, the first line says, "Cast your mind to Calvary."
1: I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled.
0: as we remember your sacrifice, God, but not just your death, but your power and your resurrection, God. We praise a God who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We praise a living Christ. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us and in us every day, God. Yeah. pray as we come around your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear from it and bless our pastors he speaks to us in Jesus' name
3: thank you, thank you to the worship team thank you to Tim for leading us at the table what a wonderful sense the presence of God both in worship and at the table as well what church is about as we gather together as God's people I have a few announcements that I just need to go through because uh, it's quite a bit going on at the moment so uh, uh, we just want to do some stuff our church has a a contact booklet which is the names and addresses of everybody in the church uh, and the last time we did this was 2019 which was uh, pre-COVID uh, as we've come to label it. Um, so we would like to do a new contact booklet uh, and uh, one it just, this just has everybody's names and addresses, mobiles, emails in it. Now you don't have to put your name into it. If your name's in it um, we're keeping it in there unless you tell Paulie you don't want it in there. Uh, But if there are new people uh, who would like their names and addresses, contact details to go in there, then there are these sheets that are in the foyer there on the info desk and stuff. And please would you fill in. It doesn't tie you to anything. It's not a membership form. It's not a direct debit form. It's nothing like that, okay? Just simply a contact form and stuff. And so you can opt out of this, but obviously because of the... Let me get this right the GPDR or the GDRP or, well, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> right, that uh, that means if you don't put it in there, we, we can't give your name and address, contact details if anybody asks us as the church staff so you know that's your choice to uh keep that out of there and stuff but we find these uh, it's very encouraging in the sense of when people want to send cards or or flowers or sympathy cards or for whatever happens uh that you know having people's contact details is helpful and stuff so these are on there on the way out and we're aiming to put this out at the start of uh, at the start of next year uh the start of 2023 um Tomorrow starts the summer scheme, there are 105 kids uh, coming, so be prepared if you're turning up to the church at any point this week to bring two paracetamol and (laughs) protective clothing, okay, so do that, so we're delighted these kids are in. Uh, this week pray for the team of volunteers Uh, they're not just bringing the kids down for a good time there's kids church going on all week we're believing hundreds of seeds are going to be planted this week in the lives of the children that come to church there is a Sunday night special next Sunday because we want to bring the parents along as well so listen everybody has a part to play this week if you're involved down here looking after the kids then if you're not then you can pray Uh, you can support everything that goes on uh, this week right up until next Sunday. Rebecca Hughes is speaking tonight so she's going to be sharing uh, a little bit about this. This begins to next four weeks of uh, the summer programme with the Rock Nations and Pulse and the baseball camp and stuff so busy four weeks ahead of us with the kids and uh, the young people and stuff. But also going into Uh, The new season in, in September, October, we're presenting our new church vision on the first Sunday in September, but the first weekend in October, the first Saturday in October, the Maids of Honor are putting on a day conference called the Hope Conference, and you will have got one of these flyers on your seat. Today the tickets are available uh, from today, uh, so they are £15, but £5 of that £15 is being donated uh, to Action Cancer. So Rebecca's going to be on the the door at the end. If you want to buy some tickets, he says it always sounds a bit cheesy in church, but we take debit card and we take credit card and we take cash and stuff. Okay, so we do all of that and stuff. So, but if you want to, that info is on the flyers on your seats just as we move into uh, the new season there's loads of good stuff that's going to be happening but we're coming around the word now because we're coming continuing on in our series of highs and lows i'm just going to pray and then we'll get stuck into the word father we come before you today father we're reminded this morning that each and every one of us has a debt and it's a debt that we couldn't pay but it's a debt that you paid by sending your son jesus christ and Father, if nothing else about how we feel this morning or the circumstances that are going on in our life, Father, if that, for that truth alone, Father, we come and we say thank you. Thank you that our debt is paid. Father, as we come to your word, we thank you. For this theme that we're looking at, the highs and lows, the ups and downs in the lives of the biblical characters and how it relates to each and every one of us. It has something to say to all of us, regardless of our ages and our experiences. But Father, we ask that you would speak to us now through your word and by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Our summer series, as people know, is highs and lows, uh, looking at the different biblical characters and uh, we've been doing this over the last uh, three weeks looking at our different characters because none of them live perfect lives and we said we're grateful for that because none of us are perfect and we learn something from them because of the journey that they are on in life that helps us in the journey that we are on and today we are looking at Thomas and Thomas is high and Thomas is low in his life happening the same story and we're going to look at that and it's a subject that that will have related to all of us at different points in our life and it may be something we don't often want to talk about because we wonder if we talk about it then people will question our faith our spirituality where we are with god but thomas had a nickname he was called doubting thomas uh, because he doubted and each of us will have doubted at some point in our Christian walk, in our journey of life, we will have asked questions when we pray, maybe, is God even listening? And if we don't get an answer from him, we may doubt by thinking, does God even care? Uh, and even more serious, people would suggest, is God even there? And, and people would live with these doubts and part of the journey that people are on in their walk, in their journey of life. And Thomas has something uh, in his story, in his high and low, that will help us this morning, it will help us when we look at this whole subject of doubt i'll just give you a background of who Thomas was. Uh, he was a disciple, he was loyal to Jesus, but he fought with these uncertainties and these questions. There, there are only really a couple of main stories that he 's mentioned in in, in scripture uh, in near the end of jesus 's earthly ministry. Um, we know that Lazarus had died and Jesus wanted to go back to the family he wanted to go back and the disciples had simply said to Jesus listen don't go back he said these are the people that wanted to kill you these are the people that wanted to stone you uh, to death and so fearing for the lives the disciples tried to talk Jesus out of returning to Lazarus's hometown Uh, but Jesus was set on going And it says to us in John 11, verse 16, Thomas spoke to his fellow disciples. He said, let us also go that we may die with him. Now we'd look at that and say, well, he was ready to go with Jesus despite the consequences that we notice." But he looks a sort of person, the the outlook was very pessimistic or gloomy. But even though he demonstrated uh, an extreme loyalty to Jesus, sometimes when Jesus spoke, uh, the disciples were confused by His mysterious language sometimes Thomas had an honest skepticism and inquisitive nature it prompted him uh, in John chapter 14 when Jesus talks about where he's going after he dies and he just asks this question Thomas does he says Lord we don't know where you're going uh, so how can we know the way in John 14 verse 5 and we would all know the next verse when Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life he answered Thomas with these notable words and Jesus wasn't talking about knowing a route or a plan and that he was talking about knowing him he was the way he was the truth he was the life but the story that really Thomas is mentioned in and he gets his nickname of doubting Thomas for is on the day of Jesus' resurrection Jesus appeared to a group of the disciples In a closed room. But for some reason Thomas wasn't there. It doesn't tell us why he wasn't there. But when the disciples later told Thomas. They had seen the resurrected Lord. Thomas comes out with these words. He says unless I see the nail marks in his hands. And put my finger where the nails were. And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And so he wanted to see the physical evidence. Of Jesus there the scars the clotted blood the the holes that image and stuff and he wanted to see what the disciples had seen we don't know why he wasn't the only one there was the only one not there Uh, but for Thomas much like for some of us seeing is believing and his skepticism was not the same as this opposition to truth that sometimes you find with people I think his doubt represents a genuine search for the truth Because the question we have to ask is, well, is doubt a sin? Is doubt something that keeps us from having what God has for us? But the reality is that there really is some of Thomas in all of us. Because we all will have doubted at some point. We all will have faced experiences and circumstances in our life that maybe would have asked that question in a different way like Thomas did. Was unless I see, prove it to me that that he's here. Uh, And so we're part of that journey that doubt is part of, that we can relate to that. So John 20, verse 24 to 29. So now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and all of the stories of the characters that we would look at in the bible uh, there is a brutal honesty and reality that is often displayed in the story if I was writing this story I maybe would have spoken about the faith of the other disciples rather than the one that had expressed the doubt But the Bible doesn't work like that. It it sort of writes a story as it is, as it happens. So it covers those who do step out in faith and believe that what has happened, but also those characters like Thomas who look at the situation and say, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Because it sort of relates then to everybody, everybody who's on that journey. Uh, And so here we see that, that Thomas is struggling with that doubt. Um, And he's simply saying, unless I see, I won't believe. Well, the first thing we probably need to look at is, well, what is doubt? And probably the best explanation is this. It's an uncertainty of belief that interferes with decision-making. When we're faced with a decision, whether it be spiritual or something else, he says, there is that uncertainty of belief that interferes with that decision-making. That's what happened with Thomas. He said, well, unless I see, I won't believe. Uh, and so we're there with this so the second thing we see and this one is important doubt is not the opposite of faith unbelief is so doubt is not the other extreme the other end of faith unbelief unbelief is not believing that God can do something faith is believing God can unbelief is believing that God can't but doubt sort of is in the middle there because it's something that everybody sort of expresses. Now, this is another important one that it says doubt comes from an open mind and unbelief comes from a closed mind. Doubt is open to people giving an explanation. Thomas's journey was simply, I, I wasn't there when Jesus turned up. I did not see the holes in the side. I did not see the scars. But when he did it changed him it moved him but he had an open mind to believe unbelief comes from a closed mind we all will know people who simply would not believe even if it was right in front of them they would be skeptical they still would say well that's not proof of belief that's not proof that's not evidence of anything why because people have a closed mind, people who doubt have an open mind, often at times when God doesn't answer our prayers, when we're struggling with the circumstances that we're facing, it's not because we don't believe that God isn't there, it's because we believe God isn't answering our prayers, that's where we struggle with doubt, so that's the open mind, but we still believe that God is there, He's maybe just answering everybody else's prayers, Or maybe we would think some of the thoughts that we would think that he would have a preference for somebody else. He loves them more than he loves me. So he's answering those prayers but not my prayers. That's why doubt comes from an open mind. And then the fourth thing that we see here is this is doubt is not the absence of faith. It is the wrestling with faith. That's where Thomas was. It wasn't the absence. He spent three years with Jesus and and actually as we come on to this Thomas wanted to see the scars and the wounds the the clotted blood and the bruises to know the story of Jesus was true he had witnessed Jesus performing the miracles he had known that Jesus had gone to the cross the final thing for Thomas was to know that this was the Jesus resurrected from the dead now we would look at Thomas and we would look at it and say, oh, well, you know, shouldn't have doubted. You know, shouldn't, shouldn't have been like that, you know, it's just Jesus standing in front of him. But actually, when you look at why he has the doubt, we understand because this is, the, this is Jesus, the only man who has professed to rise from the dead who actually did rise from the dead. Resurrection is absolutely central and essential and important to the belief. We know that because we read in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. Paul writes, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your preaching is useless and so is your faith. He's already stated that Paul is saying that and said, well, actually, it's all right, Jesus doing these miracles and Jesus being a good teacher and Jesus dying on the cross. But the crunch of it, the absolute foundation, essential, most important thing is as well as all of that, he rose from the dead. Because Paul later on in 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So Thomas is probably wrestling with this and for the right reasons. Because it would be how we would present the gospel to somebody. Because actually most people have no issue if we turn around to them and say, Listen, hey, there was a good man called Jesus. He was the Son of God and he came to earth. He went around preaching, he did some miracles, he loved everybody, because he loved everybody, he went to the cross. And we would all have no sort of issue believing that. But when we get to the point that says, but after he died on the cross, was put in a tomb, he rose again three days later. Whoa, let's just stop there. Let's just hold on there a second. Nobody has ever done that before. Nobody's ever done that since. Why? Because the resurrection is essential. Thomas knew that. He's probably there and the other ten, for whatever reason, they're thinking, we've seen Jesus. Thomas is saying, unless I see, I won't believe. Why? Because this resurrection is essential to everything. It's central to absolutely everything that's going to happen from this point onward. Let me explain to you that simply if there is no resurrection, then Jesus did not rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then death has power over him and defeated him. If death has power over Jesus, he's not God. If Jesus is not God, he cannot offer a complete sacrifice for sins. If Jesus cannot offer a complete sacrifice for sins, our sins are not completely paid for before God. If my sins are not completely paid for before God, then I am still in my sins. Therefore... If Jesus is not risen, he's unable to save. Now, I'm not saying to you that Thomas is thinking all of those things. But you understand why he's doubting now, don't you? You understand why he's thinking. If this, this Jesus I've spent three years with, I've sold my life out to. He said, unless I see, then that, that, that I won't believe. You see, we have to understand because sometimes there's a teaching that goes around. That the faith is blind and faith is irrational. Uh, and faith is unreasonable or unrealistic. But often faith is a response to a compelling truth. It's a response to, to a compelling truth uh, that Jesus was a real person. That uh, Jesus went to the cross for the sins of the world and rose again. It's a compelling truth. And it causes, not irrational, unrealistic or unreasonable. It's actually, and the response to that compelling truth is that we put our faith in God and thank him that he has forgiven us of our sins because of that you see so that's our response but Thomas's response was simply this I believe it when I see it and a week later Jesus appears again to the disciples Thomas is there notice the first thing that Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas lack of faith doesn't demand more faith from Thomas he responds to his doubt with mercy and kindness. We often wonder sometimes when Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. There's a hundred sheep and ninety-nine of them get home, but one of them's lost. And if it was me and it was raining outside, it is raining outside. I would look at it and think, you know what, I'm okay. I've ninety nine, I lost one. That'll not matter, it was his own fault, silly sheep. Shouldn't have gone and done his own thing and stuff. Jesus doesn't do that. His interest in the individual, his interest in that which was lost, that which is presented to him of an individual concern, it is illustrated here in the story of Thomas, because he could have gone in there and said, "Thomas, are you daft?" He says, "I'm Jesus. Look, can, look, look. I was the one, that, and you still don't believe. What's wrong with you?" He says, "All the others believe, Thomas. Come on. Why do you not believe?" And Jesus, in His mercy and His kindness much as he does with us. He says he doesn't respond uh, in the way that we think he should respond or the way I would respond. He responds with mercy and kindness to him. And he says, listen, stop doubting and believe. Almost like saying doubting is part of the believing journey. He simply says, listen, stop doubting, I'm here now. Here's the proof. Uh, And doubting is that checkpoint along a journey that leads to faith. Somebody says this, he says, it is the bridge that connects our current imperfect faith to perfect faith, that doubt is part of the journey, and there are experiences that we have with God that will confirm our faith. The longer that we are on the road with Him, because we trust Him. But this is just it for Thomas. He sees it, and he simply says, that, "And I believe. I've seen it." And we look at it and say, "What well, is it wrong to demand evidence?" I mean, Thomas demanded evidence, not just of sight, but of touch. Was he at fault to review the testimony of the other believers? The other ten were there and said, you know, look, you know, Jesus was here. I don't think he doubted that Jesus was there. I think he doubted that this was a Jesus that had been on the cross and was resurrected. This was so important to Thomas because this was his life. This is what he'd sold out for, for three years. This is, this is what he was going on to do. It had to be true for him. See, often at times there are different ways we show our faith. You know, Thomas' faith was objective. It was show me and, and i believe. Some people's faith is subjective. They say, I know it's true for me we try and explain to people you said, well it's true for me it's something that's happened in here when we have the objective faith we believe in the word of God as well that ties it to the way that we live the way that we feel that the things we've been set free from do you know what we need we need both of those they can't just be one the person who just lives by the feeling of faith all the time is a one every time something bad happens their Christian life crumbles they, they fall away because they've suddenly the worship song that they were singing is not answering all of their prayers why because it's that feeling orientated faith and thomas has got this objective one and sometimes people could go too far with that they could just say it's, it's the word and, and nothing else and every experience outside of that, that's not that's not god moving hey you know what we need a bit of both they've both got to be mixed in they've both got to be there because it's a life that we live isn't it and so for Thomas here, he's suddenly looking at this and said, I've seen it now. And he said, You know, he's already shown in John 14 that desire to ask questions. And I wonder as I read this, he's just this sort of black and white guy. This is no grey areas. There you are know, some people that are just black and white. It's just this or that. Some people live in the grey areas, and, and some of that is okay. He says, but Thomas, I think, is this black and white guy. He just says he's literal. He's looking for this satisfied truth based on the evidence that stands before him. You see, you've got to remember, this guy has seen the miracles. This guy was there at the feeding of the 5,000. He was there when the blind man opened his eyes. He was there when they lowered the, the fella through the roof. He's seen all of that. And that doesn't give him everything he needs to prove who Jesus was. And it's why people people say, we need more miracles. We had more miracles. Well, try to be packed and we'd get more people in. No, wouldn't Jesus did miracles. And he said, he didn't end up with loads of people. That doesn't mean there's not a place or room for them today. What it does mean is this. It wasn't the answer to the satisfied faith that Thomas was looking at. But I love his honesty because these two things are important. He's honest enough to say, I don't believe, show me the evidence But he's also honest enough to say, I've seen the evidence. I do believe. And I thought, there's the journey, isn't it? There's the journey and that we can relate to that. Being proved of of how faithful and certain and assured God is in our life. Because at times we would say, I don't believe, show me God. God shows us and he says, I've seen it God, I do believe. You see, one of the hardest things about doubt sometimes... Is admitting it's there. Because our beliefs feel like dominoes sometimes. If one wobbles, they all wobble and come down. But it moves us on to Thomas's response. And for us, his response in a Jewish setting is, is incredible. Where we look at it from a Western world and sort of look at it and think he would respond the way we, we would. Because he says these words. He says, my Lord and my God... Now for a Jew to call another human these titles was incredible. It was actually beyond recognition. No Jew would ever use these two titles uh, towards another human because they were titles of deity, of God. And Thomas knew as a Jew these titles could only be used to address somebody who was God. I mean Thomas is knocking it out of the park now as far as I'm concerned. Because this fellow a week ago has gone from I don't believe unless I see it. He's now seen it. He's honest enough to say hey I I know this is Jesus. He then turns around and declares what nobody has said before was a Jew. My Lord and my God. He expresses this as his act of worship. And what Jesus does And this is important. Jesus doesn't tell him, no, that's not correct. You know, Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, no, I'm sorry, that's not, that's not. Jesus just, he recognizes that Thomas has recognized who he is. My Lord and my God, this is Jesus. This is the risen Lord. You see, Jews were so particular in using the name of God. It almost bordered on superstition. Because even in their sacred books, they would have omitted the word Jehovah and have only written Adonai because they had this sort of superstitious reverence for the very letters of the divine name. Yeah, Thomas suddenly realises this is Jesus and his response, and some commentators would put down and said, it's it, almost like saying, oh, my Lord and my God, you know, almost, not, you know, not as, but Thomas says it almost in a sense of, He can't believe it. He says, this is him. This is the one I have spent the last three years. This is Jesus, my Lord and my God. And you see, Thomas on his journey from doubt to discovery, he had realized this man standing before him was not only his Messiah, which he had seen him on the journey that he had spent the time with him, but his Savior as well. As he's seen him die on the cross, but now... He calls him, my Lord and my God. What a response on the journey that he's moving from his doubt to declaring this, to saying this. See, Thomas teaches us this most important lesson when struggling with doubt. Because we would look at it and say, if you're struggling with doubt, do you know what you need more of? You need more faith. Actually, you don't. Thomas really teaches us this. You don't need more faith in times of doubt. You need more of Jesus. You don't need more faith in times of doubt. You need more of Jesus. The Jesus standing before him, proving who he was, the physical evidence to Thomas, makes Thomas realise, actually, I don't need a faith push, or a faith buzz, or something like that. What I need to know is Jesus. And you know, for us with our circumstances and the things that we are going through it says actually what we need more other times is just simply more of jesus as we stood and worshiped this morning how many of us would not trade that experience of our hands in the air the sense of the presence of god in church with fellow believers who are all going through different struggles as well and it says actually the doubt moves to the side why Because what we're doing is worshipping Jesus. Because in times of doubt we don't need more faith. We need more of Jesus. Faith is embracing Jesus in times of doubt. When you want assurance or certainty or faith and hope, you don't look to your circumstances. Thomas found his evidence in the wounds of Jesus. They are evidence of his love, his sacrifice, his victory... And above all his resurrection. You know Jesus didn't need to keep the scars. When you think about it. He says he went to the cross. He suffered the horrible physical agony that he did. When he rose again. The easiest thing to do. Would simply to be healed of all the scars. Why keep the scars? The vicious torture that he had gone through. But he does. Somebody said this. Says in heaven. There will only be one person with scars. You will have none because he will have taken yours. Because every scar that everybody has tells a story. I have a scar on my head that a nail went through when I was putting up a shelf. Luckily, it didn't give me any damage to my brain or anything. I turned out all right. I have a scar on my arm from a lawnmower. I have a scar on my leg. All of us have got scars. We're not asking you to show them. I'm just showing you the public ones, okay? So we all have to, And every scar tells a story. Jesus' scars tell a story. He will be the only one in heaven with scars. Because he will be the only one that uh, has taken everybody's with them. In the book of Revelation, we get a number of glimpses of heaven. Revelation 5 verse 6. It says we see... Jesus is seen as the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the the throne. The phrase looking as if it had been slain is suggested that Jesus still has the scars because it tells a story of what he's done for each and every one of us. What moved Thomas from his doubt to his believing to his faith was seeing the scars of jesus knowing not only that he was the messiah and the savior but he was now the resurrected one as well and that was all thomas needed to respond with my lord and my god he's the only one in heaven with scars and those scars tell a story see when you deal with doubt and and where do you go from here there only only one recorded verse of Thomas after this. It says in Acts 1 verse 13. When they arrived they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas. It says that tells us something in that verse. It says as the first churcher, uh, as the apostles gathered to pray in the upper room before the spirit fell. Thomas was convinced enough by the evidence that he had seen that he could be part of this group that Jesus was sending out to the world to tell them about him. That was the journey that he had moved on from his doubt because his doubt meant he was wrestling with his faith. When Jesus stood before him and showed him the evidence, it wasn't more faith that he needed. He just needed more of Jesus. He says church tradition tells us this. That Thomas went on a missionary journey. He ended up as far away as India, where he was killed by a spear for preaching the gospel. The church tradition tells us that. But more importantly than that, when we're looking at the highs and lows of this guy's life, we would look at it and we would criticise his doubting. Actually, I'm encouraged by his doubting. I'm encouraging because he was searching for Jesus. And in searching for Jesus, he was looking for the evidence in the times that he was living in. Because he knew the Roman soldiers and the Jewish authorities were looking for them to arrest them and stuff. And in the middle of that hard time and in the middle of that difficult time, Thomas looks for Jesus. The evidence that he is the resurrected one. And when Jesus turns up, he discovers he is the resurrected one. And Thomas's doubts are squashed. And simply says I can give the rest of my life to this man. I can do what he has called me to do. Which is go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And Thomas does that. Because we know what happens to him at the end of his life. So this morning as I finish as our time is done. If you are part, if you are on a journey and there is some doubting at the moment. About where you should be. Or what's happening in your life. Or answers to questions that you don't have yet. Listen, don't ask for an increase of faith. Ask for an increase of Jesus. Ask for the evidence from him that says, because this doubting that you're going through is part of the journey that you're on. Because there can be no journey without doubting. But if we turned around and said there was no journey without the bad experiences or the hard times or the difficult times, it says there's no journey. None of us get a journey like that. We get a journey where we're throwing in with the doubt sometimes and the despair sometimes and the difficulties sometimes and the trouble sometimes. But in all of those things, God is in control. He's in control of what you're going through. He's not given up on you. You don't have to question whether he's there or not. He says, listen, God is still in control. Whereas as I repeat the phrase that has probably become the phrase this year from something i've heard don't go by what you feel go by what you know don't go by what you feel go by what you know what we're going to do just just before the team comes up we just want to pray now listen this is an honesty thing because we, we can only do this when we're honest as a church and listen i'm the first one to say it And I'll be the first with my hand in the air to say, Do I have some doubts in my walk with God? Yes. Double. Triple. Because that's where we are sometimes. Things that are happening, things we haven't got answers for yet. And I wonder if we just did this as we close this service in prayer uh, when the team come up after and lead us in a song. He says, I wonder as I come to pray. If you are struggling with a doubt at the moment, listen, I'm not asking you to come out the front, but I'm asking you to stand because it's a declaration before God, much as Thomas did in front of the other disciples, which is simply say, listen, I don't care what you've all said. I want to see the evidence. I'm struggling with my doubt. God show me, and God showed him by Jesus turning up a week later. And maybe that's the prayer as I was praying this morning. Maybe that's the prayer that we need to have. Listen, we can pretend here. We can do, because Christians are good at pretending. We're all, all of us have great lives at the moment. We're all happy. We can pretend that. Or we can be real with God and simply say, God, in response to the message about doubting this morning, I'm simply standing up and saying, God, I'm looking for an answer I'm looking for you to give me the evidence to prove, because it's part of the journey that I am on. So let's bow our heads, please. And if some of that relates to you, I just ask you to stand up. Let's be brave. Let's just let's not worry about what the person's doing next to us. This is church. God is doing business with us. Let's take a step and just say, God, I just need you to show me. Thank you. There are people standing. Come on, this is. Let's be real let's be real with God we are living with struggles and prayers have not been answered and doubts that we have in our lives that we need God to answer and we need him to answer them so we're simply standing as a declaration to say God would you answer my prayers would you answer my prayers I'm just going to give it five more seconds if you do please stand thank you for the people standing Father God, we, we come before you this morning. Father, in all of these people, in all of the lives that they're living, Father God, there were doubts on their journey and they're simply saying by standing, God, will you show us the evidence? Will you, like Thomas, who says, I won't, I won't believe unless you see it. Though God, will you answer their doubts today, Father. Father, the doubt is part of the journey that we are on. And for each of these different circumstances and situations in the lives of all the people that are standing here, we just simply pray today, Lord. Answer their prayers, Lord. Show them the evidence. In times of doubt, we don't need more faith. We need more of Jesus we need more of Jesus and we just simply invite him in we just simply say answer the prayers as you answered Thomas's prayer that day in Jesus name Amen, Amen.
0: Church in response to what Matt has shared with us this morning I want to sing this particular part of this song as a, as a declaration as a line in the psalm we want all our feelings or circumstances that we trust upon but it is a firm foundation